Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Ross Safari Zoo News, your look at everything going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and general animal weirdness. Y'all, you know, we start this episode uh, series every Friday by me telling you a little bit about what's going on in my life, which uh, sometimes is pretty exciting and sometimes is, is I played a whole lot of Zelda, really. So, you know, that's fine. Uh, this week, however, has been a really special week. So I mentioned uh, last week that uh, we were celebrating Miles's birthday. He had turned nine years old the day before the episode dropped. And the day after it dropped, uh, I was down at his house having a birthday party with him and a bunch of people. Uh, it was a really good time. We had a lot of fun. But then Miles left that party with me and came back on up to Buffalo with me for our first extended time together up here. We've been spending the week together and it has been a lot of fun. We've also, to be fair, played a lot of Zelda. Um, but yeah, hey, you know, like father, like son, whatever. Uh, but one of the cool things is... We took the time to go do a couple of fun things. We went to Niagara Falls. We went to the Buffalo Zoo and saw Scouty Scout, our, our lovely red panda up here sleeping in a tree. Um, but then we also had the opportunity to go to Aquarium of Niagara. Now, y'all know Aquarium of Niagara is a friend of the pod, and uh, I've met some really amazing people and some really amazing animals there. And uh, this was no exception. When I reached out to some of the staff there, some of the trainers there, and mentioned that uh, Miles and I were going to be rolling on in, along with Zoe, of course, since she happened to have the day off, uh, we, we were told that, that things might get to happen. And uh, in fact, a little something something did. So instead of talking too much about that myself, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, young man? Hello, my name is Miles, and I am the son. Uh, he is the son. That is the best way to put it. He is the son. So, uh, yeah, Miles, uh, tell me about what happened at Aquarium of Niagara. We got to feed a sea lion. That's right. And do you remember what the sea lion's name was? It was Copper. That's right. It was Copper. And uh, you got to feed Copper. So what did you feed Copper? Dead fish. Yeah. And uh, was it was it fun reaching in a bucket of slimy dead fish? A little. <laughs> boys will be boys, y'all. Uh, except, let's be honest, girls love doing it, too. That's kind of an antiquated saying. I just thought about that. <laughs> anyway. Um, and so, yeah. So uh, you reached in and you grabbed a dead fish and you tossed it directly into the mouth of copper, right? I did three. That's right. You did. Yeah, it was very cool. Um, and our good friend, uh, Allie, uh, one of the trainers there, was was hanging out with us and sharing some information about copper. And um, did you enjoy what Allie had to say about everything? Yep. 
Okay, cool. And uh, let me ask you something, buddy. Now that you've gotten to interact with the sea lion a little bit, right? Did you even know that, like, sea lions were a thing before this? Yes. Just go to school, people. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. Right. But you weren't, like, you weren't a huge fan of them or anything, right? Like, you knew they existed and that was about as far as it goes, right? Yep. And so now that you had this experience, how do you feel about sea lions? I think they are awesome. Yeah, they are. You have more to say? You look like you have more to say. I do. (laughs) You always do. Go ahead. (laughs) The other thing I have to say is Copper, she was really smart, and she still is. But um, she came from a different place, and, like, she wasn't having lots of fun because she was, like, too smart. So they sent her to the aquarium, and now, like, she puts on shows and stuff, and lots of people have fun watching. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. She was in a place where she wasn't quite getting enough enrichment, and they realized that. So they sent her to Aquarium of Niagara to do some really in-depth training, and now she is thriving. Exactly what you said. That's awesome. And speaking of the show, we got to hang out and see the show before we did that. And how amazing was that? Did you love that? It was amazing. It was amazing. And what was your favorite behavior that you saw the sea lions do? The wave the hug and the kiss. It's true. There is a trainer at the aquarium named Kristen who is, I have to say, of of all the people that I've seen interacting with animals over the years, uh, she has one of the deepest and most impressive connections I've ever seen with animals. Um, Zoe, who, as most of y'all know, uh, is not only a vet, but also a big um, expert in behavior, was blown away by the connection she saw between Kristen and the animals. Um, and Kristen would, would get to kiss the animals and hug them and do all these cute little things and... And uh, it's really enriching for the animals, and it was really beautiful. And Miles, uh, your face lit up during that entire show, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. Awesome. Is there anything else that you want to say about this experience? Just that it was one of the best experiences in my whole life. Thank you, Allie, for letting me do this. Yes, and thank you to everyone at the Aquarium of Niagara for uh, making my son fall in love with sea lions. And really, I put that in here not just to share about that cool experience or whatever, but, um, you know, I, I know that I have a lot of people who are keepers and aquarists and trainers and all the things that listen to this podcast. And, and I know that sometimes it's hard and sometimes you wonder how much of an impact on the public you're having. But um, here is one great example of, you know, we did not prep for this interview at all. The first time I heard him say any of this was as we were standing at the microphone together. Uh, he was standing i was sitting because he's still not that tall so um yeah but uh and i didn't know what he was going to say i was actually blown away when he was able to recount the story of why copper is now at the uh, aquarium of niagara blew my mind uh y'all make a difference y'all get into the brains of the people you talk to kids and adults and and really make an impression and really make them care about animals and about wildlife and uh you know this podcast is a lot of fun for me, but at the end of the day, it exists to share the amazing work and amazing stories that come from y'all. And uh, I'm just eternally grateful to have found this incredible community of incredible people. Thank you all for touching all of our lives in so many different ways. Okay, enough mushy stuff. Let's get to Zoo News.
All right. So we're going to start off with our births for the week. And uh, tis the season, y'all. So we are going to get right into announcing some red panda births. First of all, uh, this one has a bonus animal. The Darjeeling Zoo has announced two red pandlets and also a snow leopard cub. A snow leopard has been born along with two red pandas at the Darjeeling Zoo. Very exciting, very exciting news. Going along with that... Flamingo Land, a uh, friend of the podcast over in England, has announced the birth of a red panda singlet, uh, which makes even more sense for the the term pandlet. And then last but not least in red panda news this week, according to multiple, multiple sources, I, I guess this started to leak out this week, uh, this has not officially been announced by the zoo yet, but apparently there are two male red panda cubs at Lincoln Children's Zoo in Lincoln, Nebraska, who have been born and um, already actually have... Uh, some plans with SSP movement coming up, but uh, for now are still little pandlets at home in Lincoln. So uh, lots of exciting news on the red panda front and with a bonus snow leopard this week, which is really, really exciting. And then uh, going along with those, the John Ball Zoo has announced the birth of a brand new baby bongo. Uh, bonglet and a uh, blue diker baby has been born at the kansas city zoo and then last but not least smithsonian's national zoo has announced the birth of a really adorable prehensile tailed porcupine now look i like my everything should end with lit's idea right it's really good um but Porcupet is the term that is used for porcupine babies, and I think we might need to make an exception because as funny as porklet is, um, porcupet is just a really, really good word. Ooh, should we change everything to porcupet type stuff? Instead of panlet, should it be panla, pan, panda, panda pet? No, no, it should not. Okay, panlets it is, but porcupets get the, uh, they're, they're the exception that proves the rule or something. Anyway, congrats to all these amazing facilities on these incredible births. And of course, that moves us on to the deaths uh, this week. And there are a couple of these that hit a little too close to home, as happens sometimes. Uh, First of all, it is with great sadness that I have to announce the passing of Andy N. Condor. Now, if uh, you don't remember that name or recognize that name, Andy N. Condor is an Andy N. Condor who became an ambassador bird who was able to freely walk around the Tracy Aviary with his primary keeper, Helen Deshaw. And uh, this was something that we talked about in episode 33 of the podcast. Helen was on and we had an amazing conversation about this incredible bird. Um, Andy passed away in his sleep. And uh, when it comes to talking about beloved animals, Andy was it. One of my great regrets since starting this podcast is that I have not had the chance to figure out a way to get out to Salt Lake City and meet Andy. And now it's too late. Um, 
Andy was this incredibly beautiful bird. Andy and condors are, you know, they're condors and they have those big bald heads and they're super huge birds. And um, you definitely, uh, you know, they're not what would be considered a charismatic species. Uh, It's not the cute and cuddly kind. But um, Helen managed to build up a social media presence and a presence at the Tracy Aviary for this animal that made it famous and made literally thousands and thousands of people fall in love with a condor and care about condors. And, um, oh man, every time I would look for routing when I was going on a long distance road trip or for gigging or even when I would be offered a tour, I would look at the itinerary to see if there was a shot to get to Salt Lake City. Um, I am so bummed that Andy is gone and uh, send my condolences to Helen and the entire team at the Tracy Aviary. Uh, I I remember when we were recording uh, the episode with Helen, um, the there was a problem and we had to reschedule and it turned out that he needed surgery. If I'm remembering correctly, I think it was like a cataract surgery or something, but uh, Andy needed surgery and um, there, there was a problem and we had to like not record when we were supposed to. And it was like the first time something like that had happened on the podcast. And when I talked to her about it, I realized how in love with this bird she was and how important he was to her. And, um, I'm just I'm just devastated at this loss. It, it is a loss for the ambassador animal community. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stop rambling about this one now. But uh, sending my love and condolences to the entire team. And another one that really hits home uh, is a red panda that I met recently has passed away. Lolly, uh, the red panda who lived at the Scoville Zoo, has passed away. Now, in an upcoming episode of the podcast, you are not only going to learn about Lolly, but you are going to hear me meet her. Um, she was a very shy, cautious girl who uh, then then warmed up to me and, and we got to know each other. And And she was... Just an absolute sweetheart. And um, the team at Scoville really, really loved this red panda. It is a small zoo. Uh, Everyone kind of knows everyone there, both people and animals, which is, you know, really adorable. Um, But also make something like this hit even harder, you know. Um, So it turns out that uh, she passed because of complications due to Addison's disease, which is interesting because Pabu, the male panda that they had there until recently, also passed away from complications due to Addison's disease. Addison's disease, by the way, is not contagious. So definitely makes it a really interesting um, kind of just coincidence. But uh, sending love and condolences to the team at Scoville. And um, I can't wait for y'all to, to you know, meet Lolly through the podcast. And um, oh, I just really miss that sweet, sweet girl. And then another animal that has passed is one that touched the lives of a lot of people on the social media zoo world lately, which is that the Alaska Sea Life Center has announced that the walrus patient that we talked about last week, who was receiving, amongst other treatments, round-the-clock cuddles, unfortunately uh, passed away. 
Uh, the walrus in question had been struggling with a number of serious health concerns. Um, nutrient malabsorption as well was a, a major issue that was happening. And um, there was also hypoglycemia and gastrointestinal problems. Not, not great stuff. The team obviously worked uh, around the clock, cuddling and giving real care. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, this was just one of those animal rescues that wasn't meant to work out. Uh, but for a minute, there was there was a tiny cuddly walrus that united a lot of us online and, and gave us some joy. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We also have to say goodbye to Maya, one of the snow leopards at the Philadelphia Zoo. Maya was 16 years old, making her one of the oldest snow leopards in any AZA accredited zoo. Uh, she did have several health issues that were being managed well by the veterinary team. Unfortunately, um, the management plan was no longer really effective. And as such, uh, Maya needed to be euthanized. Uh, my personal memories of, of Maya are um, her always just finding these cool little places to hide on exhibit where she was both fully visible and like really well hidden, um, which I guess is a very snow leopard thing. They're they're called the ghost of the mountain for a reason. And um, I just I just remember always kind of searching the exhibit and thinking, oh, OK, nobody's out. And then being like, wait, there's a snow leopard there. And uh, the number of guests that would walk by and see me literally taking pictures with my camera and look in and kind of shake their heads and walk away um, always amused me. So uh, sending love to the team at Philly, and uh, it, it hurts me to say, but uh, goodbye, Maya. Woodland Park Zoo has announced the uh, decision to euthanize their male Malayan taper named Bintang, or Binny for short. Binny was a 23-year-old taper, uh, which is a great age for a taper, and unfortunately was the only male that they had uh, at the zoo. Sending condolences to the team there. Cheyenne Mountain Zoo has announced the passing of 20-year-old female reticulated giraffe, Mishana. Mishana was a really caring and compassionate giraffe who was a really calm presence uh, amongst the giraffe herd, which um, made her a companion to many newborn calves and new members of the herd when they would come in for SSP movement or whatever. Mishana was the giraffe that the other giraffes would kind of look up to and um, learn how to be a part of that herd. She was also really, really popular amongst uh, the members of the zoo and even online because she had a tongue out type of look all the time. Her tongue was hanging out and uh, people just loved that that kind of signature appearance that she had. So um, it's, it's a big loss uh, for the zoo, not only because she was so beloved, but also because she was such an important member of the herd. Sending condolences to everyone at the zoo and all of Mashana's online fans. And last but not least in our obits this week, the Honolulu Zoo bid a fond farewell to Squirt, their eldest reticulated giraffe who passed away last week from age-related health concerns uh, because he was almost 24 years old, which is an incredible incredible age for a draft to reach. Now, um, Squirt was born 
at the Honolulu Zoo and then did briefly leave to go to Maui before returning to the Honolulu Zoo, where uh, he spent the rest of his life becoming very popular both amongst members and uh, the online public as well. Uh, Squirt was just a really good giraffe with a really great personality, and he will be severely missed. Sending our love to everyone at the Honolulu Zoo. All right, so moving on from topics of life and death, or at least birth and death, um, we'll get to our regular Zoo News stuff now. So uh, it starts off, uh, we've mentioned on here before that the AZA has changed the requirements to be a species survival plan, or SSP. Now, I'm sure most of you know this, but SSPs are the um, population management programs that uh, ensure genetic diversity uh, amongst species that are in captivity. Activity, so we don't have to take animals from the wild and stuff like that. Um, but that's not the only way that is accomplished. Um, but a ton of species have SSPs. However, the AZA announced at the conference last year, where we first started talking about this, that uh, they were kind of going to be changing and and making it a little bit harder to be an SSP. Or maybe a better way to put it would be to have more rigorous standards to become an AZA SSP. Uh, and there are a bunch of requirements, including that at least 15 facilities have to have the animals in question. Um, and so, uh, you know, what a lot of people were wondering is, well, what does this mean for the animals that don't fit the bill? There are definitely some species that are still in captivity that um, will be managed, including their genetic diversity and population management through the SAFE programs, the Saving Animals from Extinction programs that the AZA has successfully launched. Um, and uh, it's just kind of a different look. But there are also a lot of animals that don't really fit either bill. And so people have been wondering what is going to happen with those since they're not all getting kicked out of zoos. They're not looking to completely homogenize zoos. Well, to answer this question, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums has released a um, web article that says, uh, so your program is no longer an SSP. Now what? Which I don't know just kind of made me giggle. Um, and you can read the full thing. It's about a six-minute read. You can read the full thing by going to aza.org. But basically, what this means is that there are going to be SSPs for some species. There are going to be safe programs for some species. But then for the people who want to keep certain species in captivity that aren't going to meet those qualifications, well, it's kind of up to them to figure out the best way to do population management. There are all kinds of different things that are suggested in this article. Um, and there's even kind of a suggested path to growing an animal's popularity until it becomes uh, eligible to be part of a safe program or an SSP. Uh, it's a really interesting read. I won't go into the details here, but just know that there are some really, really interesting discussions going on about what life is going to look like for a lot of species post-SSP. Next up, I have two stories from the Philadelphia Zoo that are really exciting. 
Um, the employees of the Philadelphia Zoo are union members, and not a lot of zoos are unionized, but the ones that are tend to have um, a lot of real benefits, uh, including lower turnover rates and um, generally just like a, a better not only pay rate for the employees, but also just a lot more um, – Let's just say from from some of the private zookeeper groups that I'm in, uh, let's just say that in general, unionized zoos are the place you want to work if you're a zookeeper. Um, and so it's, it's interesting because I did not realize that the Philadelphia Zoo was a union zoo. And I know from talking to keepers there that there have been a lot of concerns about um, a high staff turnover rate and uh, some other stuff there, including questions about safety and training procedures there. And uh, the cool thing about being a unionized zoo is that uh, the staff was able to see those concerns and take those concerns to zoo management. And um, because they did that, they have now signed a new contract that includes new safety rules meant to protect both workers and animals, as well as pay bumps and new benefits intended to help fill vacancies and reduce staff turnover. I think that is such a wonderful thing because I think there is an amazing core of keepers at the Philadelphia Zoo. I have gotten to know numerous people that work there, and uh, they they are wonderful people. But like I said, they've expressed those concerns to me, and the fact that they could just take that to management and now uh, collectively bargain for a new contract that should help to address those issues— I think that is is absolutely wonderful. Um, I, I really, really believe that this is going to be a good contract for these workers. Uh, 91% of the uh, staffers voted in favor of the new contract, which is a really, really, really high percentage um, in any union contract, not just in the zoo world. Um, so yeah, there's all kinds of really cool stuff that's going to be happening there. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. Uh, so congrats to the Philadelphia Zoo keepers for uh, having a strong union and being able to collectively bargain to make their zoo a better place. And along with that, uh, they're going to have some new management to be talking to as they move forward as a union. Because the zoo has announced that Dr. Joe L. Mogerman will assume the role of president and chief executive officer of the zoo beginning October 30th, 2023. Now, you may remember that in a semi-recent Zoo News episode, we talked about the fact that um, Vikram Dewan has stepped down from the position after over 16 years. And uh, so this makes Dr. Mogerman the 15th president of the zoo. And she comes to the zoo after serving as the director of the St. Louis Zoo Wild Care Park in Missouri since 2019. Uh, this was a very long process. Um, that was a national search with a really great search committee doing a lot of work. And, um, the, uh, the chair of the Philadelphia Zoo Board of Directors, uh, Joanna McNeil Lewis said, and I'm quoting here, as we launched our national search at the beginning of the year, we embarked on a journey to find the very best person to lead our forward-thinking organization. Dr. Mogerman's impressive career and accomplishments speak for themselves, but it was her clear commitment to community 
animal welfare, staff development, and operational excellence that made her the right fit for our renowned zoo. Okay, y'all, I'm so excited about this hire. It sounds like this person is exactly in line with the zookeepers who fought to get those same things um, highlighted in their new contract. Uh, Before being in St. Louis, Dr. Magerman was the vice president of learning and community at the Shedd Aquarium and also spent nearly 14 years in leadership roles at the Brookfield Zoo. That is such a good resume. I am so excited. I love the Philadelphia Zoo. I love being a member there, and um, I am... I'm so excited about the future of uh, America's first zoo. This is so great. On Thursday, August 17th, Mystic Aquarium hosted their seventh annual Women in Science Day. This is a unique event that highlighted the achievements of their own scientific experts, as well as showcased women of achievement from the local scientific community. Uh, This is really cool and really important um, because uh, women continue to be significantly underrepresented across the spectrum of STEM occupations. Uh, The Women in Science Day serves as a platform to address this disparity and celebrate the accomplishments of women scientists, researchers, and professionals shedding light on the pivotal contributions of women in STEM careers and inspiring the next generation of scientists, according to Mystic. And uh, I just think that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. So uh, congrats to Mystic for this now seven plus year program. And uh, on a much younger but important program uh, announcement, Roger Williams Park Zoo has officially announced all new and free Young Explorers programs for kids ages 3 to 5. Um, you can go to the zoo each week starting uh, this September, and you can go to rwpzoo.org to find out what the themes and dates and times are for this. But this is awesome. It is a free program to get kids to the zoo and learning about animals and like meeting ambassadors and stuff. Yes, please. Let's get science literacy up in the younger generation, please. One thing that I really love uh, and love to highlight on this podcast is transparency in zoos, right? And so that's why I want to give mad props to the Seneca Park Zoo uh, for sharing some information about one of their female Maasai giraffes, Kipenzi. Um, So in spring, some staff at the zoo noticed a growth on Kipenzi's jaw, and uh, it was a growth that was growing, which is not great. Um, And so the zoo announced that they were going to do a procedure. Now, again, they did not announce that they had done a procedure. They announced that they were going to do the procedure. And I think that's really important uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, first of all, um, they uh, they announced that there was this growth. They announced that without figuring out what was going on and getting proper veterinary care, uh, it was very likely that Capenzi would pass away. And then they announced that over the past two weeks, the growth had gotten so large that it was actually affecting her ability to eat. 
In general, the zoo did a great job of letting their members and everyone who follows them on social media and everything know that this was happening and also announce that they didn't really know what was going on, uh, but also that they were bringing in a bunch of experts, including people from the Columbus Zoo and multiple veterinary offices. Then... After the procedure, they posted another update saying that Capenzi was anesthetized to biopsy and radiograph the growth on her jaw. They said that the procedure went well and uh, testing was happening. And that's all they could say because they don't really know what's going on yet. But the fact that Seneca Park Zoo did such a great job of informing everyone about what was going on and also that um, they're like keeping the public updated. Beautiful, beautiful thing. I hope for the best for the uh, giraffe, for sure. But regardless of what happens, I hope that Seneca Park Zoo realizes that this kind of transparency is greatly appreciated. And in that same vein, I would like to give props to the Columbus Zoo for announcing the fact that their beloved rhino, Brian, who is an absolute guest favorite, will be leaving the zoo this fall to head to the Henry Dorley Zoo in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, as part of an SSP breeding wreck. So, you know, that's great news that yay breeding and all of that. And yeah, it's sad that Brian's going to be leaving because I got to admit, I always have to go see what Brian Brian's up to. But again, just a great example of a zoo saying, hey, this thing is happening. You might not love it. So like, come see Brian before he has to leave or don't be surprised when you come later in the fall and Brian's gone. It's, it's just that really cool transparency that we love to see. And while I'm on the topic of the Columbus Zoo, um, on November 4th and 5th, uh, the Columbus Zoo will be hosting Sloth Vasana, Yoga with Sloths. This is a private yoga class experience at the Columbus Zoo with their ambassador sloths who will make various appearances during the uh, yoga class. There's also going to be light snacks and uh, a complimentary mimosa, ages 21 and over only, um, and even a sloth-themed raffle, uh, which is really adorable. So uh, if yoga is your thing and or sloths are your thing, go ahead and check that out. When you walk into Shedd Aquarium in Chicago, one of the first things that you see is this giant kind of round tank that you can walk all around. It's an exhibit called Caribbean Reef, and it has been at Shedd since 1971. And as you can imagine, since that time, uh, husbandry and um, all kinds of, you know, what we know about how to best take care of animals, uh, it, it's changed quite a bit. There have been one or two advancements since uh, 1971. And um, so even though it is a really beautiful looking and really popular exhibit, uh, the Shed Aquarium has announced that they are going to be getting rid of it and uh, putting in something new. So um, the animals of Caribbean Reef will be moving to a new habitat at Shed, which dramatically expands in size and water volume and in the process gives guests an entirely new underwater immersive perspective of this system including a new 40-foot tunnel that they're going to be putting in. 
And uh, the Rotunda, the circular exhibit that does exist, will become home to two new twin habitats featuring 360-degree views of both fresh and saltwater ecosystems. Uh, They have put up uh, some design photos of what you can expect to see if you go to at shed, that's two Ds, underscore aquarium on Instagram. And I could not be more excited. Uh, I have to admit, Caribbean Reef was one of the most beautiful in an old school way, but also kind of underwhelming exhibits at Shed for me when I went there. They do such amazing stuff there and they have such beautiful exhibits that uh, I think this is going to be really great news for for guests once this uh, all goes into effect. Bear Hollow, the newly revamped uh, bear exhibit at the Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo, will officially be opening on August 25th. They will be opening with sloth and Andean bears. Obviously, uh, those bears will have the choice whether to be out or not. Um, but uh, I'm really excited. I, I, I love the bears at the Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo, but they were some of the older exhibits there. And uh, I know that they were working really hard on these new exhibits the last time that I was there. So I really can't wait to get back to that zoo and see what they have done for their new Bear Hollow exhibit. And while we're on the subject of the Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo, have you ever heard of Zoo Keys? It's a kind of popular thing at some zoos and then not other ones at all where there are little like speaker boxes and you can buy a little plastic key and then walk around and stick the key in the box and learn about all these different animals that are there. Uh, Well, Cleveland Metro Park Zoo has announced that they are going to be launching Adventure Keys, which is a huge expansion to their zoo key program. Um, It's going to be a collectible key that can be used to unlock exclusive video messages at locations around the zoo and around Cleveland Metro Parks in general. And uh, guess what? It will be debuting at the new Bear Hollow exhibit that we just talked about. So uh, that is really, really cool. I think that's just a kind of beautiful thing because in the limited research I've done on this in my master's program, uh, it does seem like people are more taken with screens than signs at this point in time. So updated zoo keys with screens are definitely going to get kids of all ages more interested in learning about the animals there. Oh, and while we're at Cleveland, one more quick thing. Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo recently uh, announced that uh, they have welcomed a three-year-old male meerkat from the Memphis Zoo. Um, This male will be joining a female named Jenny uh, on exhibit. And normally I don't announce just when a new animal goes to a zoo, but the meerkat is named Filbert. Filbert the meerkat. If that's not zoo news worthy, what is? And then last but not least in Zoo News this week, uh, our friends at the Animal Behavior Management Alliance, the ABMA, have announced that uh, they are going to be creating a new members community, the ABMA community. 
Uh, this is going to be a platform where members can connect, share, and learn in one safe place. There are going to be increased networking capabilities, more member benefits, better access to the board and committee chairs, which I think is particularly cool, and countless other ways to enhance your behavior management goals. So um, everybody who is an ABMA member, once this community goes live, you're going to have to change your password the next time you log into the site. So Emma apologizes for that because that's always annoying. But at the end of the day, this is going to mean that um, a community that already exists to make animal training uh, more accessible and to to kind of share that science better um, is only going to get even better, which is really amazing and exciting to me. So uh, if you are an ABMA member or if you are thinking of becoming an ABMA member, you should definitely uh, look into the ABMA community. Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh yeah! All right, we're going to start this one off with me eating some crow. Not literally, as this segment would be more about me conserving crows. But anyway, last week I announced that um, all national parks in the United States are now free to enter. And I lied to you all. I was just trying to get you to go and spend money. And no, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that. Um, so this is one of those things where, you know, you have to check your sources a little bit better. And the internet um, got very, let's just say, internet-y for me. So um, there was one day where every single national park in the United States was free to enter to celebrate um, the Great American Outdoors Act, which I talked about uh, before. On August 4th, you did not have to pay uh, if you went to a national park. Cool. However, uh, different articles that were written about it had one small typo, which was that... um, All national parks are now free to enter as of this day, as opposed to on this day. And once, I guess, one place posted it, uh, other people just copy and paste it, which is exactly what my lazy butt did. And so I was wrong. You still have to pay to get into national parks unless you have a time machine and can go back to the one day when you didn't have to pay. But if you have a time machine, I'm guessing that you can probably afford to pay to go to national parks. So I apologize for that and hope I didn't ruin any of your vacations. We have talked on here before about Aussie Ark and the fact that they do some really incredible conservation projects in Australia, including trying to breed a disease-free population of Tasmanian devils, uh, since devils are affected by devil facial tumor disease in Australia, which is no longer 100% fatal, but is still really bad and really ravaging the population. And so it's really exciting that that um, Aussie Ark has partnered with Barrington Wildlife Sanctuary uh, to create this population of Tazis. And uh, they announced that um, they just had their 500th Tasmanian devil birth uh, as part of this program. 
the devil in question has been named Milo the Milestone Devil. And uh, yeah, it's just really exciting to see this insurance population taking shape and continuing to grow. I know that the goal is to ultimately reach somewhere between one and 2,000 uh, in this disease-free uh, insurance population. But congrats to Aussie Ark and Barrington Wildlife Sanctuary on this incredible, incredible milestone. Horseshoe crabs are a species that have existed since before dinosaurs, uh, but unfortunately has been over-harvested in certain areas lately, to the point where locals in certain places like Connecticut now say they can barely ever find them anymore. Which is why Governor Ned Lamont of Connecticut has signed a bill into law banning the harvesting of horseshoe crabs with the exception of specific medical exemptions. Uh, this is a really huge step in saving this prehistoric species, and I'm really excited to hear about it and hope other states that have horseshoe crabs will follow suit. There used to be many ocelots along the Texas border, but now it is estimated that there are only about 100 left in the area, which is why the Caesar Kleberg Wildlife Research Institute at Texas A&M University in Kingsville will be running a new ocelot breeding program thanks to receiving 14 million in grants to get this program up and running. The uh, center will not only try to protect the hundred or so ocelots that are still along the border, but will also be initiating a breeding program right there in Kingsville, aiming to repopulate the area with these cats once again. Uh, so that's that's pretty darn exciting. Um, they're also going to be looking into things like the effects that border barriers and infrastructure have had on large animals along the border, um, including not just looking at ocelots, but also black bears and mountain lions. And uh, then the rest of the money is going to go to the ocelot breeding program. I think that sounds like a really adorable program and also really important conservation. Congratulations are in order for Chef Jerry at Disney's Hollywood Studios and the distribution services delivery team at Disney. Now, that might sound like a weird thing to say in conservation news, uh, but Chef Jerry actually won the Walt Disney World Environmental Champion of the Year 2023, uh, which is really cool that they even have this. Um, so uh, the way that this was phrased by the Disney team is that, uh, quote, we cannot achieve our culture of environmental sustainability at Walt Disney World Resort without cast members and leaders inspiring each other to build a more sustainable future. At Disney's Hollywood Studios, from plastic wrap to ice cream scoops, Chef Jerry has made changes in his kitchen that have inspired the whole park. He's been reducing the amount of water used in his kitchen by using a heated dipper well for ice cream scoops that uses much less water than a traditional dipper well. He also has been avoiding plastic wrap. Instead, he opts for reusable lids. And the distribution services delivery team was also honored with this award uh, because they have been researching and testing new ways to reduce emissions in their entire fleet. They're even working on testing a new electric heavy-duty truck 
And they aim to send zero waste to the landfill from their building. So congrats to this team and to Chef Jerry. One of the things that I always love to highlight on this podcast is the kind of weird unintended consequences when we do a conservation-y type thing and then, you know, things happen that we didn't expect. Well, a new study out of the UK has shown that bats are avoiding solar farms. And scientists really don't know why. Now, bats are incredibly sensitive to changes in their environment, uh, and it might have something to do with that. But um, yeah, in, in these huge areas in the UK where they're just building these massive solar farms uh, to to create, you know, solar energy and, and all that jazz, um, it, it's about uh, one fifth of the energy capacity that has been installed in the UK since 2019. Uh, bats are just avoiding the area which is not only bad for the bats, but also for insect population control, since bats are such a huge part of that. And then you can even go down that line into diseases that get spread by insects and all that stuff. So um, it's it's an interesting uh, conundrum. Now, the authors of the study do not recommend moving away from solar energy. Uh, they merely state that if you're going to be building these solar farms, you also then need to put into place uh, some, you know, plans to help bats stay in the area, be it bat houses or what have you. Uh, they don't really know exactly what will work yet because this is a brand new finding, but uh, it is definitely going to be the goal of UK conservationists to make sure that bats stay in the areas where these huge solar farms are being built. And then last but not least for conservation news this week, International Red Panda Day 23 is coming up next month. And as such, Red Panda Network is doing their annual uh, International Red Panda Day t-shirt. Uh, and this one is roll, roll cute, y'all. Um, so the money earned from these shorts goes specifically to helping prevent red panda poaching because right now uh, a red panda pelt is smuggled into Nepal's black market roughly once every 10 days. And the shirts, and they're not just t-shirts, you can get t-shirts, you can get hoodies, you can get all kinds of cool stuff, um, feature a beautiful uh, drawing of uh, a mother and juvenile red panda walking through some bamboo together. The front is them walking towards you, and then the back is the same view from behind with Red Panda Network on it. So um, highly, highly recommend that you go to at Red Panda Network on socials or redpandanetwork.org. And um, buy all of the shirts and hoodies. Why not just make your whole wardrobe this shirt and hoodie in a variety of colors? It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, now, right now, right now, it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the podcast. A new study shows that leprosy is on the rise in Florida. Yeah, leprosy, that thing. And um, apparently it is being linked 
to handling armadillos. So if you are in Florida, uh, don't handle any armadillos as they may be carrying leprosy that they can spread to you. So that's cool. But then on top of that, the reason that I'm dropping this into Zoo News is because, no joke, my mother sent that article to me the day after I visited Scoville Zoo where I met a ton of amazing ambassador animals, including an armadillo. So my mother sent me that article, and I immediately responded with me yesterday and a picture of me holding an armadillo. Y'all, I am not saying that it is easy to uh, have me as your son. I I just cannot say that. Um, fortunately, this was a healthy armadillo at a zoo. But uh, my poor mother, I put her through a lot. Not as much as people are putting alligators through in Pennsylvania, though. Remember last week how we talked about the alligator that was found in Pennsylvania? And I pointed out that uh, this was not the only time I've talked about this recently because there was also the one that ended up going to uh, Reptiland and is now living and thriving there. Yeah. Well, another alligator has been spotted in a western Pennsylvania River. It is a two to three foot long gator and um, as of now has not been captured yet. So um, there's just another gator living in another western Pennsylvania river. What I, I don't, there's not a ridiculous enough joke to make because nothing is more ridiculous than the fact that this keeps happening in Pennsylvania. Anyway, enough with that story. See you later, alligator. After a while, crocodiles will actually make their way towards distressed primate babies, including humans. And yes, I really phrased that weirdly just to get in the see you later alligator after a while crocodile thing. I would apologize, but this is my podcast and I'm not gonna. But yeah, no, this is really actually an interesting fact, though. So a study done has shown that crocodiles, uh, specifically Nile crocs, will be... Uh, interested in and react to and try to make their way towards the cries of baby bonobos, chimpanzees, and humans. And they actually can tell the level of distress from the cry and will move more quickly or head towards the more distressed cry. However, we don't know yet if this is because they are exhibiting um, a prey drive and they know that there's some good eating over there. Or if it's a maternal instinct thing and they are literally drawn to the cries because they want to help. They they honestly don't know. So I find that really fascinating that they know this thing but also don't really know what it means. But yeah, crocodiles will come running if your baby is crying. So uh, probably don't let that happen if you're in the Nile, I guess. And last but not least, in other news this week, uh, we have a Florida man story. But it's not about a human man. It's about a bunch of male Florida peacocks. 
You see, uh, the town of Pinecrest, Florida, right outside of Miami, is apparently overrun with peafowl right now. Peacocks and peahens are just causing all kinds of trouble in the town, including scratching their roofs and their cars, making messes on their driveways, and making so much noise that the people can't sleep or otherwise do quiet activities. Um, so the town has officially decided that they are going to be giving the male peacocks vasectomies. Uh, each individual vasectomy can stop between 6 to 12 females from reproducing. The pilot program for this will be launching in just a few weeks, and if it is uh, successful, it will be used in other communities such as South Miami and Coral Gables, which are also overrun with peafowl. Who knew? Oh, animal, oh, animal. All right, and that brings us to our animal holidays for the week. Just a friendly reminder that August is National Parks Month, National Catfish Month, August is for Antelope Month, and Asian Elephant Awareness Month. And then for our individual days, on the 19th, we have World Orangutan Day and National Honey Bee Day. On the 20th, we have World Mosquito Day. And the 21st is World Goat Day, which is pretty cool since we just had an episode talking about how awesome goats are on Tuesday, right? With Hassan from Maryland Zoo. If you haven't checked it out yet, you should check it out now so you can properly celebrate Goat Day. That's really exciting. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, and there you have it, folks. Uh, Rasafari Zoo News is done for another week. I would like to say thank you to my Red Panda-level patrons, Laura Shank and Stephen Williamson, and remind you all that you can join my patrons for as little as $3 a month and support the podcast. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash Rasafari. I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who contributed this week, and holy cow, do we have a list this week. So thank you to Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Laura Shank, Melissa Reed, Ken Tryon, Emily Rockbuck, Sam Evans, Sherry Weiss, Justin Fairchild, Crystal Chapman, Karen Musklau, Dr. Zoe Rossi, Kelsey Carter, Jay Meredith, Miles Rossi, and Andrew King. Thank you all so much for contributing to this week's episode. And uh, don't forget my CCF fundraiser, y'all. We got a few days left running on that thing, and we're getting real close to our goal. So um, if, if you haven't, please consider donating and uh, taking a look on my socials to, to find the link to do that. And remember, friends, the words Newsy Credits Backwards are Stiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.
life and also built a strong following both amongst mumbers and mumbers mumbers great job